Well, the sun is shining here in the UK just at the moment and has pretty much been doing that for the past six weeks or so. And it's just glorious. I'm sitting here in the studio. It's streaming in through the windows. As I walked down here this morning, it was just so, so, well, so beautiful. The light is just incredible. The temperature is that lovely temperature where you can still wear a T-shirt, but it's just that little bit cooler than it is later on in the day. Oh, just stunning. Now, I am going to start this particular podcast by blowing my own trumpet. Yes, just a little. I have lost a little bit of weight. Now, I'm not that good at losing weight. I have a natural gift for accumulating it, but when it comes to shedding it, well, not so much. But recently, I have a bit of a knee problem. It's my left knee, if you're curious, and it's not one that's going to go away. The pain, that is, not the knee. Uh, It's not going to go away without a replacement. However, one thing that certainly will help is maybe, maybe just asking it not to have to support quite so much tonnage above it. So I have got back on the peloton. Yes, yes, I know. Uh, But I do actually love the thing. Um, Genuinely, I'm torn between my love of EDM and house and the 63 beats per minute climbs that uh, they give you. Or, well, just trips down memory lane to the classics of the 80s. Anyway, over the past three months, I have lost a stone. Or that's, well, you know, six and a half kilos to my metric listeners, but a stone to people like me who love 80s music. Though I admit I probably do have another couple of stone to go. Uh, Anything, anything to take the pressure off my knee. I will honestly admit to feeling just a little bit pleased with myself. And I have done it almost exclusively through exercise and just, well, eating a little less bread. Having no toast in the mornings is not the greatest hardship. Um, I still like a big sandwich at lunchtime, can't stop myself. And the alcohol, well, the alcohol has stayed, frankly, in my diet, because if I'm honest, I need it. (laughs) But it turns out that burning a thousand calories each session on the bike um, gives me enough calorie deficit to have lost some weight. And I think people think I'm always a little bit on the energetic side anyway, but some of that energy, it felt like it was waning because it's hard to be bouncy with a brittle and frankly excruciating knee uh, and carrying a little too much weight. So recently, I think some of the bounce is back and I'm no longer out of breath dragging my camera bag up the stairs after being out on the road. I'm Paul and this is a slightly less heavy Mastering Portrait Photography podcast. Hey, just uh, just as an aside, just before I started to record this, I saw a headline come in from the BBC that says the UK, in the UK, we've paid an extra 6p a litre, a litre of fuel uh, at the pumps because there's been weakened competition. I want my money back. Frankly, I want my money back. The Land Rover has a pretty big tank and I want my money back. 6p a litre because they can't sort out the competition stuff. I want my money back. Dreadful. Anyway, so what's been going on? Uh, well, we've had one of the busiest months we've had. Uh, also, also one of the worst hay fever seasons I've ever had. Uh, one reason that I haven't recorded quite so many podcasts recently is that I have a permanently blocked up nose and I sound like or have sounded like an advert for Vicks Vaporub. Well, I mean, as in 
Vix VaporUp before application of Vix VaporUp, and it didn't make for a great recording sound. Uh, but we've had a load of portraits, a load of commercial, a couple of weddings, and the cricket. Well, I mean, I say cricket. I'm, d- I'm not a sports photographer. I just mean it's the Ashes series. Now, obviously, to my Australian friends, yes, yes, you're 2-0 up on a 5 series. But what's been a huge victory in our household is that Jake, our son, has brought cricket into the house. And all four of us are now talking about cricket, almost non-stop. Test match cricket in particular, but cricket. Uh, Yesterday, sitting with Harriet, she has developed a a real nose for it. Uh, I don't know where she's getting all of her knowledge from, but she was educating me on some of the ins and outs and nuances of cricket. And I don't know if Jake, who's it's been Jake's domain since he was about seven years old. Uh, You could hear him swishing a bat in the backyard (laughs) from from a very early age. Uh, And even now he does it when he comes home from uni or from working at English Cricket Board. Uh, he uh, swishes, stands in the back garden, just practicing his strokes. Uh, and I think he's had a bit of a solitary time of it because none of us were really into it until, I suppose, the last couple of years. And that's really gained traction in the past couple of months. So uh, we went to Edgebaston for the very first ball of the first Ashes. Oh, sorry, the first test of this series of the Ashes. Uh, a cracking four. It was great. We thought it was going to be just all... Uh, all uh, all downhill from there. Well, it has been all downhill from there, really. Uh, and then over the weekend, we went to Lords to see the fourth day of the second test. All of it exciting, all of it brilliant. And it's just lovely as a family to have <laughs> what is one of the world's most obscure sports. Uh, it's, you have to admit, I mean, any sport that you play over five days and then you do it five times is a strange sport. Uh, but it's been absolutely brilliant. It was also Sarah's birthday this month. Now, that's a multi-day event. Sarah's birthday isn't a singular a singular date. It's a multi-day event, and it, as it happens, isn't yet concluded, as we're off to go and see Matilda, uh, the musical in London by the Royal Shakespeare Company. I don't, I don't know why the Royal Shakespeare Company. Maybe that's just a, an aside for them. Maybe it's just a light relief. Uh, anyway, we're going off into London as a family to go and see uh, Matilda in a couple of weeks. Uh, what else? Oh, yes, we've had part of the house gutted, and this is kind of the trigger for this whole podcast so we, we live in a very old house uh, and at the back of it are what were almost certainly a couple of little cow sheds or something it was a little small holding uh, it's 600 700 years old nobody's quite sure but it's pretty old our house and there are a couple of cow sheds uh, in the back that were an office and a bathroom before we moved in it was a kitchen and a bathroom but it's never we've never done anything with it and we've lived in the house for 24 years now or 23 years, uh, we never really did anything with it except to gut it a little, uh, dry it out, paint it, and then live with it. Um, but it needed doing properly. It needed to go back to the original walls, new dry lining, new floor, new ceiling, new wiring, new bathroom, uh, you name it, we've had it or in the process of having it done. Now, there are parts of it that are a great relief. So when we took all of the old stuff down, the stuff I'd done, the stuff the people before me had done, the people before the people before had done, it turns out the walls are in good condition. It's dry. We'd had the roof, we've had the roof redone anyway so that it's watertight. And the whole place was looking pretty good. But watching uh, Brian, who's the guy who's looking after the whole project, go through each stage of it made me think of processes. For everything he does, he knows where he's at at any stage. He knows whether, which bit of it he's doing. He knows whether he's measuring. He knows whether he's ordering stuff in. He knows the lead times. It's really interesting to watch. 
and it got me thinking about processes. Now, if you think about it, we all have processes, whether it's the way we get up in the morning, uh, the stages of that, having a shower, having a shave, cleaning your teeth. It's the way you get in the car and start the engine and head off to wherever you go, the way you put your seatbelts on, adjust your mirrors, tune the radio in, stick your phone in the bracket, whatever it is. It's even the way you head to work, maybe buying a coffee on the way. These are all processes in some form. They are the things you do every day and probably never really think about. They just kind of happen and you don't even notice. They are habitual. And that's the point. Processes are habits. They're habitual. They are things you do that are almost automatic, or they should be. They can be good habits. They can be efficient. They can be quick. They can make you happy. They can be bad habits. They can be inefficient. They can still make you happy, uh, but they can uh, you know, take longer than they should do. So for instance, do you always open a bottle of wine after a day in the studio. That might be a well-organized habit, but it's probably not great for you, though I'm with you on that one anyway. But they are things that you do regularly, and there is comfort in that regularity, in that rhythm, in that habit. And to be an effective business, you must have processes too. Imagine in life when you're getting up that you don't know what order to do things in or you don't know if you've done them. You change them every day. Maybe you forget to clean your teeth. Maybe you forget to put on socks. A business without processes is more or less a sockless human with bad breath. Now, there are a couple of ways. I'm sure there are numerous ways, but there are a couple of primary ways to create your processes. On the one extreme, the first way, and the one that I think big corporates love, it's certainly the way when I was working with big corporates we worked, is you sit down and you design one. You ask for lots of inputs from lots of people, but you decide and write it down. You could, of course, in this day and age, ask ChatGPT to design it for you. Now, as an exercise, I actually did this. Uh, I asked it to design an effective process for here, and I quote, design an effective process for handling client inquiries in a photography studio. And here's what it gave me. One, initial inquiry. Provide multiple contact channels. Offer various ways for clients to reach out. I don't think that's a process, really. Uh, two, uh, well, no, sorry, part of, still part of one. Create a dedicated email address. Or for, by the way, as an aside, don't use a Google email address. Get your brand name sorted. Get your web domain sorted. And then have an email address at that uh, domain. Don't do paulwilkinson at gmail.com. It doesn't look good. You don't need to do it. It's really easy to have a web address, to have an email address based on your web domain. Just This isn't from ChatGPT, by the way. This is just my pet peeve. I hate it when someone sends me an email from Google.com when they're a professional. Uh, anyway, carrying on, include a clear call to action on your website, social media profiles, and micro... I'm still not sure that's processed, but that's what ChatGPT has given me. Stage two, the inquiry triage. It feels like there should be a drum roll for that. Inquiry triage. It sounds like something like a casualty triage. Uh, anyway... Uh, regularly check and monitor all inquiry channels, prioritize urgent inquiries, respond to them promptly, sort and categorize inquiries based on their nature. Fairly logical. Number three, inquiry response. Craft a template response that acknowledges, acknowledges the inquiry and expresses gratitude for the client. I'm so grateful for the client's interest. Personalize the response by referring to the specific details. Provide essential information such as due availability, pricing packages and any other relevant details. Include a clear call to action, encouraging the client to take the next step, whatever that might be. Number four, consultation. Offer the option for an in-person or virtual consultation to discuss the client's requirements in detail. 
Schedule the consultation as a mutual, mutually convenient time. Prepare a list of questions to understand the client's needs. Showcase your portfolio, explain your photography style, and provide detailed information about your pricing. Uh, number five, proposal and booking. Uh, based on the consultation, create a customized proposal that outlines the agreed services. Clearly communicate uh, the booking process, including any necessary deposits, etc. Provide multiple payment options, such as online payment gateways or direct bank transfers. Set a deadline. Um, once the client accepts, send a confirmation email. Number six, follow up. After the booking is confirmed, follow up the client, send reminders, maintain regular communication with the client leading up to the shoot to address any questions or concerns. Number seven, the final stage says chat GPT. Send a thank you note to the client expressing gratitude for the business and trust in your services. It's missed out the shoot bit. Let's not get too... <laughs> I, don't like, I don't want to be too critical. It's missed out the shoot. Anyway, post shoot, number seven, post shoot, send thank you note, provide a timeline for what you're going to do, share a sneak peek, uh, follow up to confirm the client's satisfactions and address any feedback or concerns they may have. It does say at the bottom, remember each photography studio is unique, so adapt this process to suit your specific needs and clientele. Continuously refine and improve your process based on client feedback to ensure a seamless experience from inquiry to final delivery. And that last paragraph is the most important of the entire thing. Remember, each one of us is unique. Remember to adapt your processes as you go. Keep refining them, keep improving them, and listen to your clients to make sure they're the best they can be. Anyway, so that's way, that's method one, is you sit down and you either, as I have there, boilerplated one from ChatGPT, from AI, which let's just remember with AI that it's not inventing that process. It's reading the internet in 2021 all of the documentation available, and I would lay you a bet that if I searched for processes for a photography studio, I will find that or something very similar to that out there that a photographer or multiple photographers have written online. Uh, however, it's useful to have it. You could sit down and design it from scratch, decide just get a big piece of paper and write down all of the contact points with your client and what you'd like them to be, and then for each of those contact points, write down exactly what you're going to write and send out as emails and how you're going to do it. It's just a way of designing a process. The second way is just to get into a good habit. So I liken process design, uh, good process design. So I think I've talked about this. I certainly talk about it in our workshops on business processes. Uh, but it's a useful thing to remember is if you're ever stood at the corner of a large green space in a city where there's a path, a, a tarred or gritted or graveled or you know a constructed path round the edge of it, look at where the grass is worn. And I lay you a bet it's across the corners because architects and urban planners love to have a park with paths that go in zigzags and corners and all the rest of it. People, on the other hand, want to get from A to B in the most efficient way possible and they'll walk across the grass. And eventually you'll see, by virtue of a muddy trail, you will see exactly how people wanted that to be and that is when that's when you design processes using habits you will find a much better process this way but it takes a long time to get there over time as you do things and you do them repeatedly you very quickly get a feel for what works but it does take a lot longer than sitting and designing a process so whatever you do there's no right answer i would suggest the most 
obvious way of doing it is to sit and design your process, but remember that it's not finished yet. And it may not be finished for many, many years. Uh, it may never be finished. Ours aren't. Ours change all the time as we listen to our clients. We respond to changes in the marketplace. We respond to changes in how we want to work. We even respond, even internally, for instance, the package Imogen AI, which we use for all of our color correction, has meant that we've changed fundamentally who and where the color correction is done. Who, sorry, <laughs> who runs the color correction and where it's done? Because I now have the ability, for instance, for Sarah to run all of the colors. Whereas when I was doing it myself, that all had to come back to me. So we've changed the process. So now I don't do the colors. Technically, it's it's outsourced to a software package and an AI artificial intelligence package. Uh, but Sarah can run it. Brilliant. Um, and it's not just working processes up. It's not just about the obvious thing, obvious things like how do you respond to a client. It's actually about everything you do in the studio. It's your inquiry process, color, culling, coloring and post-production. It's your complaint handling process. Let's hope you don't have complaints, but you've always got to have a process in place to know how to deal with it efficiently. I've recorded a podcast on that. You know, if you make mistakes, own it, fix it. Uh, your in-shoot process. People don't think about this, but actually how you run a shoot has a process. What you do during the session, what you say, how you say it, maybe even when you say it. Uh, I'll give you a good example of this is for us to do the sales work we do, we have a very successful sales room, it's really important that I brief the client at the end of the shoot as to what to expect next. It's part of my shoot process. I have regular habits that I use when I'm actually creating imagery, but at the end of the shoot, I always take a breath, I will show the client stuff on the walls, I will hand over a magazine of our work, and I will give them a price list that's really clear, but I will still explain it. I'll tell them everything on it, what it means, why we do it, how we do it, and what we expect of them when they come back to pick out their pictures in the reveal, or some of you call it a sales consultation. If I don't do that part of the process properly, Michelle or Sarah, who's in the sales room later, so two weeks later, they're going to have a much tougher time of it running their process because I haven't put the inputs into their process correctly. I know this all sounds a little bit dweeby, a little bit corporate when I talk about process. But all it means is I've got into the habit of telling our clients what to expect and how excited I am for what they'll put on their walls. And here's how much it's going to cost. So that they're excited, but they're also realistic and they know, they can, they know what they want and they know how much it's going to cost. And then they bring that into the sales consultation. And when Sarah and Michelle are there, they're not having to explain, oh no, that's quite expensive. The client already knows. All right, so that's how processes and habits work. It might even be, for instance, that you have a habit that on a Monday, as I do, I do things for mastering portrait photography. So even which days of the week you do certain things in your business on may actually be part of your process or part of your habits. And it can also be how quickly you do things. You may need to actually think about speed because one thing is for sure in this day and age, immediacy is part of our puzzle. People want things and they want them right now. Now, as a studio here, we've made a really quite conscious decision to slow things down. We craft our images and we give our clients an experience they can remember. But not when it comes to the processes behind it. Timing is everything. So we try to respond, for instance, to all inquiries within the same working day, as in our working day. Our studio is open Tuesday to Friday, but usually it's within the same working 
hour. Immediacy is actually part of the puzzle now. And processes are not a technical thing. They're habitual. They are just get into the habit, get into the rhythm, get into the pulse of how you do things, when you do things and what you do in your time. But why bother? Good question. Why do you go to the effort of setting this stuff out? Well, if I'm honest, mostly it's so that you can offer a great service with minimum thinking about it. You can concentrate on other things. With good processes, you don't really need to constantly think about what's the next step, what should you be doing, when should you be doing it. With really good processes in place, you will know. Which means you don't need to be, oh, where's that template? What should I do now? What should I write in this email? It's all done for you. Now, that's not to say I'm a fan of automating emails, for instance. I'm not. I think emails should be hand crafted. But there are common things you say in them. There are normal links, your pricing, etc., etc. I'm just saying there should be a pattern that is familiar to you so that you don't have to think too much. So that you can concentrate on the things you really do need to think about, which is a photographer nine times out of 10, is the imagery itself. And having good processes gives you the flexibility and the time to concentrate on the thing you probably love more than anything else, which is producing beautiful pixels. It also stops you missing things. Um, there are three of us in our studio here, so we have to have reasonably clear pathways through all of the work the studio does. Who looks after what and when? Some things are immutable. Uh, it's me, for instance, that creates the imagery. Whereas some are flexible. It may be either Sarah or Michelle who's looking after the client reveal or the sales consultation, whatever you want to call it. But all of us know exactly what is going on at any one stage. Even things like the way folders on our hard drives are organized tells us which stage the images are at. So the guys will know I haven't finished the images until they appear in a certain folder. When they appear in that certain folder, my part of the process is done and they know they can pick them up and carry on with that process all the way through to the sales room. It's all about having habits and knowing and, and knowing what comes next. Now, I know processes may sound daunting and corporate and I'm from a corporate background, so I, do, am I apolo no, I'm not really apologising for it. The reason corporates are full of processes is because they've learned that it's the right thing to do. Now, I know many of us in this industry in particular have fled from those big corporate organizations. You know, some of the guys I worked with had bigger teams and bigger you know, budgets that were hundreds of times the entire turnover of a small photographer, photography studio for one function. They would have had dozens, maybe even hundreds of processes mapped out for different things. And yeah, okay, maybe you don't need to think quite like that when there's just one or two or three of you running a studio. But they are good habits. They're not enforceable rule books. They're just a way of doing things that is repeatable and efficient. And if you do it, you'll have happier clients and a happier studio. For me here, I honestly even have a process for how I think up ideas, write, record and edit these podcasts, uh, even if I don't do them often enough. On that happy note, on that happy note, thank you for getting to the end of another podcast. No interview this time, just me on my own and a microphone. Uh, I am in the process of adding more content to masteringportraitphotography.com. Sarah and I are working busily on that behind the scenes. You should start to see 
new articles and new ideas starting to appear on there. That's masteringportraitphotography.com. And of course, that is the spiritual home of this particular podcast. Uh, if you're interested in any of our workshops or masterclasses, uh, paulwilkinsonphotography.com. If you just search for Paul Wilkinson Photography Training, you'll find it. Um, I hope you'll find it. I haven't checked that. I keep saying that. I haven't checked it. Google it. See what happens. Paul Wilkinson Photography Workshops or Paul Wilkinson Photography Training. Uh, we will be releasing the dates of those soon. And of course, whatever else. You can hear my nose is bunging up already. It's, I've managed to get, what's, how long is this podcast record? What, about 25 minutes? Something like that. I've managed to survive it without sounding too bunged up. But now I can feel it. Blooming hay fever. On that happy and slightly annoying pollinated note, remember this. Be kind to yourself. Take care.